Welcome to a special episode of Dr. Doctor, the radio show and today podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern, with a special Finding the Halo episode dealing with coronavirus. After all, corona does mean halo, so let's find the silver lining in this outbreak. Uh, we and our guests uh, discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. While we're normally heard on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, this episode will be played on various podcast apps and at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. There have been so many questions just in my office from moms of young kids and from other moms in the community about their children. We thought it was time to bring on a pediatrician. And with us today, we have Dr. Michelle Stanford. She works in Aurora, Colorado, a suburb of Denver. She trained in medical school at the University of Colorado. She did her residency at Children's Hospital of Colorado, and she is married and has three children of her own. Michelle, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. How has your practice been affected by the COVID-19 outbreak? So many, many different facets from my patients and parents being um, concerned, many questions, um, my staff uh, having a lot of concerns working in the healthcare field of how to protect themselves, how to adequately care for our patients. Um, many people not really wanting to come into the office. Uh, so we've had to make a lot of adjustments to make our care, um, you know, be, be better for families. So have you had um, more use of telemedicine then since you don't have patients who want to come into the office? Yes, that was one adjustment that uh, we started last week. Some of the recommendations have come out. Children's Hospital locally here has been working with a lot of providers giving us recommendations. And that was one, I think that's one that's been actually nationally too, is encouraging physicians to use telehealth. So we have started doing telehealth visits, just getting started with them. But I anticipate that to be a bigger part of how we care for patients. How do patients access that? Is it just um, store and forward, take a picture and send it? Or is there some app that you use? So there, there is some separately pictures that can be used um, within my EMR, within like a patient portal. But the most of the telehealth visit, visits do have to have a HIPAA, HIPAA compliant platform. So I'm using Zoom. And so it's an app that um, they download. And then um, I send an invitation. And then we do the interaction. And it's I, surprisingly uh, I, I just started doing it. It's amazing what I can actually do over the phone. I had a kid who I could look in their throat. They put their throat up to the mouth. <laughs> you know, so I, I was surprised, but that's how it works. So what are the most common questions you're getting from parents now that you weren't getting, say, two or three weeks ago? I would say the last few days, most of the questions, you know, because it is spreading significantly in the community, have been about First, potential exposures, how should they handle it? Um, second would be, you know, a kid with respiratory symptoms and what they should do. Um, and then probably third of just, you know, how, how best to keep them protected. So let's start with the first one. Uh, potential exposures. What qualifies as a potential exposure that your patients have had? You know, many of them are very distant, you know, a friend of a friend. Um, but the ones that have had legitimate exposures, I've had, you know, only a handful. And interestingly enough, um, one was even a parent and the kid had symptoms but was not positive. Um, but 
I would say that, um, you know, that those exposures, you, you just have to take them on an individual basis because many of them are, are different and so many people are being sort of at home. And so I talk about what to watch for and what to look for when to call me back. Uh, and what are you telling patients now with various respiratory symptoms? So we're um, essentially moved to triaging 100% of what we call our sick visits. Um, and so my nurse or myself will triage every single visit and determine if it needs to come into the office. So, you know, the majority of kids we'll talk about later, even with coronavirus, have very mild symptoms. But there's still other viruses, many other viruses circulating in the community. And so I can triage and talk to them. And before I even do telehealth, I can do it just over the phone and determine, are they short of breath? Are they a little child? You know, checking through my list of things that whether they should come in the office and be evaluated. So are you triaging on the phone when they come to the door or something else? So the first step is going to be on the phone. And um, in that triage is going to include a travel history and their risk of exposure. And what, what is a high risk of exposure? So it, right now it's considered um, if you have traveled um, to the high risk areas, so China, Italy, Hong Kong, um, Iran, and then in the States, it's New York, Washington State, or California. Um, and so, I mean, th that's not 100% of the people, but those are considered the higher risk people. Or if you have a known contact of someone with close contact to you that had coronavirus, those are considered high risk. And what counts as a close contact? Um, a family contact, someone who um, was, you know, in close, within three feet of you for more than five minutes. Excellent. This is exactly the same thing that I heard today when I was uh, talking to our public health expert, Paul Carson. It's not someone that you just walked past or Correct. talked to for a few seconds. Three yes. feet over five minutes, usually face to face. Yes. Excellent advice. If somebody does fit that criterion, uh, that they have had close exposure, what do you do next? Um, I tell them to be a little stricter about their quarantine. So, to, I mean, everybody's not officially quarantined to their houses, but, you know, most people are homes homeschooling their children because schools are closed. <laughs> yes. um, and, you know, so a, a family that I had today, the mom actually was, they had the ability to work for home. So just being a little bit, you know, particular about who you're around so that if you're in an incubation period, you cannot expose other people. Excellent. Are you doing anything like this with your staff before they come to work? any type of screening? Um, only for symptoms. And that, that actually I had, um, they came out in Colorado. They noticed that a third of the cases were happening in the mountain towns. Hmm. And so they came out on Sunday with an advisory. If you had been in the mountain towns in the last two weeks, you were supposed to minimize even more your social contact. Well, I had an employee who had been up there. So initially, the, they didn't allow them to come to work, but they changed it and said if you were a healthcare provider and had no symptoms, you could wear a mask and go to work because the healthcare workers are, you know, shortage right now with developing symptoms. And if you have symptoms, you have to stay home. Which brings us to the trivia question for today. You mentioned the word mask. So the question is, if you wear a mask, is it more helpful for somebody who has the disease to prevent them from spreading it? Or if you wear it, does it help prevent you from getting it? One of those is true, and we'll talk about the answer near the end.
Thank you for that, Michelle. Uh, you said that the third thing that parents have been talking about is asking how to keep their kids protected. What do you tell them? So um, it's a great opportunity for me to encourage healthy lifestyle. So I tell them to eat healthy, um, supporting their immune system, to get a good night's sleep, um, hand washing, um, and, uh, you know, avoiding contact uh, if they're able to with others who are sick. Um, you know, right now, like I said, most kids are at home. So really minimizing that contact as best you can with other people. That is great advice. Now, even though all of the excitement is about coronavirus, there's probably far more cases of influenza and RSV in kids this year. Is that true? Overall, yes. Although this particular winter has been a mild, not flu season, but a mild RSV season. We haven't had as many hospitalizations from RSV this winter, but um, you are correct. Way more other viral illnesses um, in Colorado right now, because of the coronavirus, they're doing a lot of respiratory panels on kids. And if they get a positive, then they feel comfortable that that's what's going on. And I've seen a lot of adenovirus circulating, rhinovirus. Um, I think flu uh, is starting to decrease. Okay. Have you had many hospitalizations for influenza this year? Um, I probably have had only two or three in my practice of about maybe 2,000 patients. And what would a normal winter or flu season be for you? To have, have hospitalizations? Yes. Probably similar to that. Okay. So it hasn't been that bad. No. Uh, something that patients and parents are asking about a lot is data that I found on our favorite website for tracking this, and that's worldometers.info. And it shows the mortality rate worldwide by decade of age. And it still today says children zero to nine years old no fatalities worldwide, 10 to 19 years old, 0.2% or two out of a thousand. Whereas those who are uh, in their 70s, there's an 8% fatality rate. And those over 80, there's a 15% fatality rate. Why do you think the fatality rate is so blessedly and thankfully low in children? So I think that that's going to be something that people are going to look at for a while. I think there's been some early information with some uh, one, you know, more uh, clinical and one more scientific. So there is a receptor that is in the lungs that forms over time. That's actually the receptor that these, the virus uh, attacks that causes severe respiratory symptoms. And in children, this receptor is less developed and so probably has weaker binding to the respiratory cells than adults. So that's more scientific. The speculation of a couple other causes that children actually have more respiratory infections, like we were talking about RSV and influenza. Yes. So they'll have a higher antibody levels just to viruses in general. Um, their immune system is also developing. So something about their immune system is just responding differently to this virus. Because a lot of parents have been telling me, well, kids' immune systems are weaker than adults, aren't they? Um, I think that under uh, um, one year of life, the immune system is different, but I wouldn't say it's weaker. It's, it's just that they haven't been as, as exposed as an adult over time. Excellent. So what is the typical course of a child who has COVID-19 infection? So in children, it ranges really from asymptomatic carrier. So there's been some reports of a child 
um, having it positive in their nose with zero symptoms, but getting all their adult family members sick, to a mild cold, fever, um, cough, runny nose. Um, and, you know, certainly they can have more, um, more respiratory symptoms with a more significant cough. But I think in general, it's like the common cold. So the, a common question that I hear is, what are the signs and symptoms that children have that warrant a call to a pediatrician? So I would say a couple of different areas. So really any child under the age of four months of age with a fever and a cough would at least warrant a call to the doctor to discuss things. Um, any child under a one you're concerned about, obviously call the doctor. But in general, it would be shortness of breath. Um, maybe a persistent cough that they're not able to control. Um, for children, we often, whenever they're sick, they don't drink very well. So if a child was getting dehydrated, not drinking their fluids well, um, and it's kind of their level of activity level. A lot of kids, when they have a fever, they're running around the house playing. But if they weren't, you know, responding or talking to you as, as well, that would certainly warrant a call. But I always tell my patients, that's what pediatricians do. If you're worried about anything, call your doctor. And how can parents tell if their child's dehydrated? Um, it would be how frequently they're having wet diapers or going pee. Um, you can sometimes kind of look at their lips and see if they have dry, cracked lips. Also, how much they're taking in. So how many, how many ounces of fluids they've been drinking. Sometimes kids don't know to drink when they're sick, so you have to push them to. Um, so all of those um, are signs of dehydration if they're not doing well. Do you have any idea how much more dangerous COVID or any other respiratory virus is in a child with asthma or diabetes? For asthma and diabetes for COVID, as far as I can tell, we don't have any, um, I don't have any data that says that it's, it's worse in those children. Every other ill influenza is definitely worse in those children. So I certainly would be cautious um, even though the data doesn't suggest that in a child with that. I mean, those are actually probably more of the kids I'm seeing in the office, not as much the diabetic, but the respiratory kids, kids with asthma, because they tend to, in general, with a cold, have more symptoms. It doesn't mean they're going to get hospitalized, but usually need to be seen and check their oxygen level, see if I need to adjust their inhalers. And when parents are taking their kids' temperatures, what temperature over what period of time should prompt a call to a pediatrician? Um, so, uh, uh, technically, uh, over 100.3 is a fever, so that doesn't mean you have to call. From my perspective, uh, it's age-based, and it's how the kid looks. So there's a lot of fever phobia in general, so it's really, if I'm more worried about a kid who has a temperature of 101, who's not really talking and interacting, than a kid who has 104 who's talking to me. So it's really ah. how the kid is acting. Um, we always talk about temperatures of height. You know, over even at, usually we say anything over 104 and a half should at least get a phone call. But it doesn't mean I'm going to be very worried if I can re be reassured how the kid is acting. But the age of the patient matters. Under six months of age, certainly I'm going to be more concerned about it a fever. And really, if there aren't respiratory symptoms, of course, that heightens my concern. A respiratory symptoms usually, you know, helps you know that it probably is a virus. But again, I think if you're not sure, call your doctor. 
Excellent, Michelle. Now, would you say that what we know about this disease, that kids who have COVID-19 versus the same age child with influenza will have a, a milder case? Yes. I mean, kids, kids get sick with influenza. And so from what I can tell with all my research, um, the COVID-19 is much milder form in the kids. So really, parents should be overall more concerned about a child with influenza than a child with COVID, at least as far as the child's health is concerned. Correct. Now, on the flip side, when we think about solidarity, one of our you know bedrock principles of Catholic social teaching, that is the main reason why we want to keep kids healthy with this, because we don't want it, them transferring it to their older relatives who are at risk. Would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. I mean, it, you can kind of think of the kids often with all infections as the vectors because they just tend to not have as good good hygiene and they don't cover their cough. And so even though they don't get sick, at, or at least as severe, they are going to spread it more. So how do we know when we should keep young children away from older family members? Right now, I'm saying if they're sick with anything, they should stay home because as, as you know, and many of the listeners might know, testing for this virus is limited. Yes. So you, you really just have to assume if they're sick, they need to stay away from, you know, people who are, or maybe even outside their family. Yes, that makes sense. So then a very practical question I didn't think of, this comes from a mother of young children that I know. How do you explain successfully to children who don't understand how germs are spread? are spread, that they need to adhere to social distancing. In other words, how do you keep them from touch, touching everything and everyone? Yeah, you, you definitely need to just explain to kids because they all know something's different. And so you don't want them to not know. Um, but I think you just have to explain to them why. Kids are pretty good about listening. They may not do it every time. And I, I think you can't you know, be watching them every second and, and on them, but just explaining to them and maybe having some rules. Of, okay, we're going to wash our hands at these various different times and, and make it kind of more of a fun thing. The kids are more like more likely to be receptive. Ah, very good. <laughs> like playing keep away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or we'll sing a song while we do it or something. <laughs> there was a new publication online in the uh, journal Pediatrics, which looked at uh, over 2,000 children with COVID from China. Michelle, what do you think are some of the important takeaway points from that article that would interest our listeners? So I think that it, it reinforced some of what we're talking about, which is that their overall um, severity in kids was low. It did suggest that under the age of one, they might have a little bit more um, severity Although difficult to tell from the study because one of the things they, they included were suspected cases, so they weren't all confirmed positive, so it could have been other infections. So I think just like we would for all that age group, we continue to be a little bit more careful about their disease exposure, but definitely still reassured about the fact that they aren't getting as severe disease. Yes. What was it? 6% of kids under the age of one were classified as severe or critical, 3% uh, from age of one to five, and then 2% or less uh, with the older kids, six to 18. Yep. Uh, a common question 
uh, that I've gotten from some of the moms that I work with. What happens if mom or dad or both get COVID-19? How do they take care of their children? I think it would depend on the age of the children. Um, and if they had the ability for anyone to help out, you certainly don't want them to have grandma and grandpa come. <laughs> they're going to have a higher risk. And depending on the age of the parents and their health factors, I think um, you know you, you still could care for your kids and you use per standard precautions because the adults obviously are better at doing that than kids. Let's see here. Another email question I got right before the interviews says, uh, if someone's pregnant and delivering at a hospital in the middle of this, what precautions should they expect to see? Uh, this particular uh, writer said she went six weeks early, she's pregnant again and thinking she could deliver in the middle of this and she's somewhat worried. Yes. So I can answer that in, in regards to this weekend rounding at the hospital. And so the nursery is being very strict about visitors. In fact, even had like hospital security at the door of labor and delivery. So they were screening everybody, even the doctor who's coming on their ward and um, all their staff, you know, so they're very aware that they want to be careful um, about any, in fact, they're not even letting any children visit. Um, and I think you can, they're limiting the adult visitors as well. And so I think you can re be assured that the staff is doing everything they can. Um, and they're on, usually on a separate floor than the other patients. And a lot of the community hospitals aren't where the patients are being cared for. It's more of the, um, the higher acuity hospitals. Great answer. How do you explain to kids the the crazy nature of what's going on now? I mean, this is a yeah. once in a lifetime or less type of event we're experiencing. How do you explain to them the cancellation of so many events, staying in, and and you know, for for our Catholic kids, missing mass? Yes. Um, you know, for my own family, we've just taken it as an opportunity. Um, we've done more things together, turning the TV off and just seeing it as a way to spend more time together. We've prayed together more. Um, there's so many things you can do. And I think it's, it, it's just an opportunity to look at it from a positive, but then you just have to try to help them have hope. And that's where our, to have our faith is great to know that God's in control in the midst of this craziness. Um, but I think you just, you just need to talk to them and, answer their questions and settle their fears. And what is necessary for kids to know? I know when I'm talking about scheduling podcasts and different things with my wife, she likes to close the door because it it's overwhelms our teenage kids. What kind of rule of thumb do you use? Um, I think you have to know the child too. I mean, certainly different children are going to, you know, can have handle different information, but I agree with you. You don't, you want to, be careful how much you give, but understand, I think for that parent, they know their child and what they can tell them. Certainly their age is going to determine that too. Uh, I want to give the answer to the trivia question right now. And, and the question is basically, if you are wearing a mask or if you wear a mask for COVID-19, which one helps to wear it if you have the disease to protect others or to have it to protect yourself from getting it? And the answer is, it helps protect others from getting it if you have the disease and you wear it. Just wearing it and you are healthy 
does not really prevent you from getting the disease. So it's, again, uh, it's the same thing we're doing with the young kids. By keeping them away from the older people, it's protecting the older people, not not the kids. And so wearing the mask is something you do if you're around anybody and you have the disease. Uh, the CDC has come out and said, please do not wear masks if you do not have the disease. Anything you want to add to that, Michelle? Yeah, the only thing I would add is um, this week, at least here in Colorado, they're recommending that healthcare workers, even if they're not sick, wear a special mask um, just to protect themselves even more. So if you see that in your healthcare setting, I think those just because they're a higher risk, it's not because, um, and, and they also, you know, are just trying to protect patients too. So I think if you see your healthcare worker wearing a mask, it's just a little different than the general population. So are you wearing an N95 respirator, Michelle? Yes. Oh, we need a picture. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. I think it's at work, so I can send you <laughs> I actually put a sticker on the end of it because it does kind of like the little patients get a little scared when you oh, come in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they do. So is that just recommended for people who are evaluating patients yeah. that may have fever or might have a respiratory illness? Correct. Not for all physicians. It, well, you know, the Colorado Health Department was saying for all patient encounters. And I think what that has to do with Tom is, which we, you know, is this incubation period. So if you're in seeing patients, you have a little higher risk potentially of getting it. And so you may not have symptoms yet and you may not know you've been exposed. So just protect everybody even more. Wow. What would you say to people who think that the CDC, the government, the state health departments are making far too big a fuss over this virus? You know, I think that out of charity for people who are older, that is, you know, it really is um, realistic that the healthcare system cannot handle the burden of this, um, the, particularly the adult healthcare system. And you know, what's already happening, we're learning from healthcare in other countries, Italy, and particularly Italy, and how overwhelmed their healthcare system is right now. So I, I think, I don't think it's a reason to panic or stress or worry, but we have to understand that, that we're having this due to charity to our um, older um, relatives and neighbors. That's an excellent point. And Michelle, as we close this off, what else would you like to share with our listeners about COVID-19 and children? Um, I think I would just say, um, you know, talk to your doctor if you have any questions. I think everybody's prepared to answer questions. And so don't sit at home and worry. If you have a question that you don't know the answer to, I'd say call your doctor. Michelle Stanford, pediatrician, thank you so much for being with us today and enlightening us about children in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. You're welcome, Tom. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, the official podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. Please share this with other friends so that others can find us and what our experts have to say. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app or at RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. Be sure to rate and review our show to help new listeners find us. And I'm Dr. Tom McGovern signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. 
The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word doctor to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit redeemerradio.com slash doctor.